Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please join me in our chalice lighting words. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. What keeps us focused as a congregation is knowing what we're here for. What we're here for is our mission, and we say our mission every Sunday morning. Together we say, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Kids, will you come up front and you got to hear the story of Rumpelstiltskin. This is a really old story. So, there was once this father and a daughter, and the father had to go talk to the king. And when he was talking to the king, he made a big mistake. He told a lie to the king and bragged about how gifted his daughter was. He said, she knows how to spin straw into gold. That was not true. Spinning is when you uh, have a wheel and you take a raw material and you make it into a thread. But straw is like dried grass and it breaks when you try to hold it. And you can't spin it into anything because it just breaks in your hand into a million little pieces. And so... The king said, that's fabulous. I'm so glad she knows how to make gold out of straw. Let's put her in a room and give her lots of straw and see if she can make me some gold. So he locked her in this room and he didn't say, just do your best, honey. He said, if you don't make this into a bunch of gold, you're going to die. That's motivating. (laughs) I know. So she tried She tried, but it was impossible, and she started to cry. And this little gremlin guy comes in the room, poof, and he says, What you crying about, Missy? And she said, This is impossible. I can't do this. I can't make this breaky straw into some kind of gold. That's what the king wants. Otherwise, I'm going to die. And he says, I can do it. What do you give me? And she said, I'll give you my necklace. So she took off her necklace, and she gave it to the little guy, And he spun all the straw into gold, gleaming gold. So then the king let her out, and he was very happy. And her daddy was very happy, too. And did she say, okay, guys, this is it. I'm not doing this again because it's impossible. No, she didn't say a word. So he put her in a bigger room with more straw, and he said, do it again, or you're going to die. 
So she cried again, and again the little guy came in, and he said, I can make this happen for you, honey. Don't worry about it, but it's going to cost you. What have you got to give me? And she said, I can give you my ring. He said, done. And so he made a bunch of straw into beautiful gold. And the king was so happy, and her daddy was so happy. And then the king said this, I'm going to put you in an enormous room with a whole ton of straw, and I want you to make it all into gold. And if you do, I'll marry you. And did she say, why would I want to marry some guy who said I get to die if I don't do my job? (laughs) She did not say that. She said, nothing, nothing, not a peep. So he puts her in this big room with lots of straw, and she starts crying again because it's worked for her before. And the little guy comes and he says, don't cry, missy. You need me to spin your straw into gold again? And she says, yes, I do. He says, what have you got to give me this time? Looks like nothing. And she said, no, I don't have any rings left. I don't have any necklaces. But I'll be queen if we make this happen. And then I can give you all the gold in the world. And he's like, you know what I want? You're going to marry the king, and you're going to have a baby, and I want that baby. And she said, okay. Because she didn't believe that she was going to get married to the king, much less she didn't believe that she was going to have a baby. She just didn't know what was coming in her life. And so she said she made this promise. So she she. She pleased the king because the little guy spun all the straw into a bunch of gold. The king was so happy, and the dad was so happy, and the king said, Please marry me, you rich girl. And um, she said, I will marry you from some reason. And um, then they had a baby. And I don't know if she forgot about the little guy or not, but one day... The man appeared and he said, hey, Missy, time to give me that baby. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not giving you my baby. No. Because, you know, the way parents love kids is like stronger than a freight train. It's stronger than a tornado. That's how much parents love kids. You don't know about that yet, but when you have kids, if that ever happens for you, you know, then you'll know. It's amazing. And she loved that baby like a tornado. She was not letting that baby go. And so the little man said this, I'll give you three days to guess my name. And if you guess my name, you won't have to give me your baby. She said, it's a deal. So he disappeared. She got all her researchers together and they got on the internet and they went into the far corners of the kingdom. I know I'm just making that part up. Okay. Uh, Somebody made this whole thing up. So, hey. So she got her researchers, and they walked and rode horses to the far ends of the kingdom. And um, the first night, he came back, and he said, can you guess my name? And she said, is it, uh, is it uh, Lamb Chop? Is it Eli? Is it Tyler? So he left. The next night he comes back. She still doesn't know his name. He said, what's my name? You're never going to guess. She said, is it Simon? No. Is it, (laughs) is it Trent? No, no. Is it Isaac? No. 
Is it frankincense? Is it Belshazzar? He disappeared again. So the third day, one of her hunters comes back and he says, I don't know if this is the thing or not, but I heard this little guy dancing around his fire in the far corner of the kingdom. And he said this poem. He said, today I'll bake, tomorrow I'll brew. The next day I'll have the young queen's child. How happy I am that no one knew. Rumpelstiltskin I am style. He said, is that it, you think? Is that the little guy you're talking about? And she said, that's the guy, Rumpelstiltskin. So she said it to herself, Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin all day long so she could remember it. Then he came back. She decided to have a little fun with him. He said, have you guessed my name? She said, is it Crayon Jack? Is it Bag of Wheaties? Is it uh, sequins and glitter? No. Is it Rumpelstiltskin? And he got so mad, he stamped his foot really, really hard. He stamped his foot so hard that the whole earth cracked and he fell into it and the earth swallowed him up. And he was gone forever. That's the story I'm preaching to the grown-ups about. I'll see you guys later. Have fun in your classes. Our uh, reading today comes from Eric Morgenstern's The Night Circus. Someone needs to tell those tales. When the battles are fought and won and lost, when the pirates find their treasures and the dragons eat their foes for breakfast, with a nice cup of lapsang souchong. Someone needs to tell their bits of overlapping narrative. There's magic in that. It's in the listener, and for each and every ear, it will be different, and it will affect them in ways they can never predict. From the mundane to the profound, You may tell a tale that takes up residence in someone's soul, becomes their blood and self and purpose. That tale will move them and drive them, and who knows what they might do because of it, because of your words. That is your role, your gift. Your sister may be able to see the future, but you yourself can shape it, boy. Do not forget that. There are many kinds of magic, after all. Now is the time in our service when we breathe into that place deep down inside where we are most who we are. It is in this place where we can speak to God as we understand God or Listen to the voice of our inner wisdom, or just follow our breath as it brings us life. It is in this place of stillness that we can find clarity and wisdom, where we can find the strength to open our hearts to the suffering of others. We especially stand witness to the sufferings of the people of Nepal today.
they look for survivors of the earthquake. We stand witness for the people who are in trouble because of war, terrorism. We hold in our hearts those who are sick or fearful or just exhausted. As we do all of this, we sink our roots deep down into the heart of compassion. Let us enter the silence together, understanding that small child noises and the noises of life are part of silence in this congregation. When I was in my 20s, I got a grant from the college where I taught and um, went to study dream interpretation with a Jungian analyst who had retired from Connecticut into the mountains of North Carolina. So I would drive up into the mountains um, every other week, and we would spend three hours working on my dreams, and she was training me using my own dreams. So it was a wonderful experience, and I uh, would come up with three or four ideas about what the dream might mean. And she would be nodding, and I'd say, so, you know, which one do you think it is? And she said, Meg, it's not either or, usually. It's both and, or all, Mm. which was very frustrating for um, logical, thinking-type, first-born Virgo Presbyterian. I wanted to know the answer, please. But there it was. The answer was that it could be all of the above. So I tried to get peaceful with that. She said that folk tales and fairy tales are the dreams of an entire culture. So, all right. Here we have this young woman whose father lied and bragged and got her into terrible trouble. And here we have this king who locks her in a room. And here we have this girl who says nothing, not a peep. She's maybe uh, intimidated by the king or scared of her dad. Or maybe she likes the description of herself as incredibly gifted. So the king puts her in a room and says she's going to die if she doesn't get it done. Uh, The writer Sandra Cisneros wrote about this tale. Uh, She said she thought of it when she was a grad student in the south of France, and another Latino family invited her over for dinner, and she said they were going to cook Mexican food, so she was very happy because she was Mexican. And um, so she was looking forward to it very much. And she got there, and they said, here, you're Mexican. You know how to make tortillas. Make, some go- make, a- make us some corn tortillas. Here's the flour. <laughs> she said, I thought of that poor girl locked in the room with straw. She said, <laughs> she said my mother's f- from Chicago, and her... Her family was from the countryside of Mexico where they made flour tortillas. My dad's family didn't make corn tortillas out of corn, you know, corn meal, but they didn't make them themselves. They, you know, they were middle-class Mexico City folks. They went down to the store for tortillas. 
And I never made one at all. I saw I saw it in the movies. <laughs> you know, you go like this, you I don't know. But she said she decided just to try to pull it out and she made something. She said I I, got, I made that corn meal into something and uh it wasn't pretty, but it was edible. So the impossible task, facing the impossible task, it's a theme, it's a trope that is um, reoccurring in folktales, fairy tales all over the world. You've got the labors of Hercules, you've got Cinderella, whose wicked stepmother spills the peas and lentils on the hearth and says, oh yeah, I'll pick those up and separate them and then you'll be able to go to the ball. And you've got, you know, Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory. So our girl uh, tries to spin the straw, and she breaks it, and she can't do it, and she weeps. And uh, there's no little birds that she's helped in the past that come fluttering in like Cinderella. And there are no little ants that she's helped out in the past that come scooting in like some folktale with ants. And um, there's no sweet fairy godmother that will help her out for nothing. Her desperation calls out to this little elemental being, this little gremlin guy who comes in and helps her, but it's going to cost her. This is, I think, more realistic for those of us who've ever tried to accomplish an impossible task. Her father is pleased at the end. The king is pleased how delicious she gets to keep her life pretty good. Uh, Does she come clean at the end of this first impossible task? No, she does not. She lets them... Lock her into another room, a bigger one with more straw. She cries again, and the guy comes back, and she gives him her ring this time, and uh, lo, it is all made into gold. And the king is pleased, and the dad is pleased, and the girl is miserable, but she gets to keep her life. And then the king says, I'll marry you if you do this huge, the most huge impossible task. And so she doesn't ever say you know what? This is impossible. She doesn't ever say that. She goes into the room and she cries and the guy comes and she promises him lots of gold after she's queen and he says, no, I want something alive this time. I want your baby. I want the heart of your heart. I want the soul of your soul. She doesn't know any better. She's new at this. She says, okay, you can have the heart of my heart. You can have the soul of my soul just to make this one thing happen. I got to get this job done. And so he does. And this is a familiar situation. Almost everybody. You've got You've got too much homework to do. There's too much reading to do. You're going to have to pull another all-nighter. So you pull an all-nighter, but it costs you. Or you buy one of those papers online. (laughs) Desperate people do desperate things. Is it going to cost you or not? Mm, The little man always comes back. You're a kid, and your parents are leaning on you for emotional support, and you are their emotional support even though you're just a kid. It's an impossible task. It's going to cost you. 
and you have a triumph. But they're never satisfied. There's always a bigger room with a bigger impossible task just waiting for you. Do you speak up? No, you kind of enjoy being the person who can make the impossible happen. The person who can negotiate with the impossible people. The person who can close the deal. The person who can build the thing that can't be built. The person who can figure it out. You call on that little bit of magic, that superhuman leap, that extra well of backup energy that you have, but you end up owing. You end up owing your own body, or you end up owing another person. You end up owing somehow karmically. And that doesn't mean you should never call on that superhuman oomph to get a task done. It's not bad to call on the magic. It's not good to call on the magic. What you need to know is when you call on the magic, it costs you. That's all. Just know that and you'll be smarter than she was. I would ask this training analyst, I would say, yeah, but is that a bad thing or a good thing? And she would say, Meg. (laughs) She didn't do that. She looked like a really serious gym teacher. She'd go, Meg. It's a just-so story. It's just so. Not bad or good. It's a just-so story. So, in this last impossible task, she's offered the life of her dreams. You close this deal, you're going to get the partnership. Do whatever it takes. Hear me? Do whatever it takes. See, If there were no people who made deals without knowing what they were doing, there would be no movies. You know, when that person goes, just my last dying wish is that you take care of your sister. Uh Uh-huh. And you go, I'll take care of my sister. But you have no idea that your sister is married to the biggest mob boss or something. I don't know. You make a vow without all the information. Almost everybody who gets married young has done that. You make a vow without all the information. (laughs) Sometimes it works out well. The rest of that will remain unspoken. (laughs) So basically what's happened in this story is that this girl has sold her soul to the devil. Yeah? I mean, you sell your soul when you're desperate. You want something more than anything else. There are all kinds of tales about people who sell their soul to the devil. Um, you know, Robert Johnson, the blues man, that's how he was so good. Paganini, Stravinsky. List all those rock star musicians. They sold their soul to the devil. Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah, it's obvious. But the problem is, how do you get your soul back? How do you cheat the devil? I I saw an article in a magazine called Fantasy Magazine because I just Googled, how do you get your soul back from the devil? Because why not? (laughs) 
I found this great article that I put up on my Facebook page, Five Ways to Cheat the Devil. I will not go through them all, but you're welcome to go on my Facebook page and look. Um, But yeah, how does she get her soul back? Well, what happens is um, this little magic man was kinder than he needed to be. And I'm not sure why, but that's the story. He gave her three days to figure out his name. And we all know that naming, finding the name of something is another theme. It's another trope that happens in lots of tales. I mean, from Genesis on, um, you will name the animals and so have dominion over them. Uh, There's a scripture from Taoism, and the first verse of the scripture is, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. In other words, as soon as you can come up with a name of the divine, it's, that's not it. So if you think you know what God's feeling or thinking or whatever, you're wrong instantly. In the Jewish tradition, you can't even say the name of God. Um, the consonants of the name are right there in the scriptures, but you have to say Adonai instead, which means the Lord. So you just say the Lord, and some uh, Jewish folks more conservative will not even write G-O-D. They'll write G-D. Because you just should stay as far away from naming the name as you can. A lot of cultures, you have a secret name and then you have a public name. And you don't let people know your secret name because if they know your secret name, then they have power over you. Which I think is kind of a cool idea. So if you all want to go home and find out a secret name for yourself, you're welcome to. You don't even have to tell me what it is. So he says, you can have three days and you find out my name, I will leave your baby with you. And so she looks, because she's got all these resources now. She's a queen. I like how suddenly, once she's the queen and she has enough money and she has this child, she's in her mother power. She's in her ferocious queenly mother power. And no longer is she this meek little girl who won't say peep when her father lies about her being able to spin straw into gold. She just goes, yeah, I can do it. Try. She goes, no, you can't have my baby. No, 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 no. I like that about her. She's grown up. She's understanding something she won't do. And she uses all her resources to save her baby and herself. This is what a grown-up soul should do. You might, be, you might be imprisoned when you're a young soul. You might be on a journey from being wanting to please everybody at all costs, wanting to live up to everybody's expectations of you at all costs. And I mean that at all costs because it costs you when you're trying to live up to people's expectations, when you're trying to make your boss really, really happy with you all the time, when you're trying to do impossible tasks like, you know, you're 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 working at a at an office and you have to get this report out and yet your computer's so slow and your printer won't print and your your air conditioning is out and you know what are you supposed to do no excuses make it happen you know i'll tell you the most textbook way to make somebody crazy but first you have to raise your right hand and say i will use this knowledge only for good I'm not sure all of you did that. (laughs) 
Okay, so the most textbook way of driving someone crazy, and I mean really, literally crazy, is by giving them a big responsibility and not giving them the power to carry out that responsibility. You say, take care of your little brother, but don't ever put him in timeout or yell at him. Make sure he does right. They say, take care of your dad, but don't ever mention that he's an alcoholic. Just make sure he doesn't drink. They say, make these bricks, but we're not going to bring you any straw. So he gives her this responsibility without the power to accomplish the responsibility. And she goes a little crazy, but she calls on the magic. And it comes, but it costs her. But finally, she has grown up enough to stand up to it and say, you will not have the heart of my heart and the soul of my soul. Some people, some scholars are saying that this, uh, this tale is a dream of a culture that was really anxious about the Industrial Revolution. They were anxious because suddenly the girls were working jobs. They'd been at the farm. You know, it's been an agricultural economy, and they've been working on the farm, staying with the family. Everybody could keep an eye on the girls, but now they're going to work. They're making gold for the guy who owns the factory, and they're making their own gold. They've got a paycheck coming in. In any kind of patriarchal society, when girls start to make money, it's anxiety-provoking. You can go back and tell them, you know, they'll make it okay. They won't let us make as much money as the guys. (laughs) And the firstborn child thing, maybe people were worried that the girls working might hurt the family. I think it's a, you know, that's a legitimate interpretation of this story, or maybe it's a story of the journey of a soul, where you start out as a pleaser, and then you, then you can't ever say no, and then you get stronger, and you get your resources, and you, find, you come into your authority, and then finally you are able to shape your own life. And the queen has made that journey by tackling a task that was too much for her. And she's transformed ordinary material into something valuable. And isn't that what we do all the time in our lives? We tell stories about something ordinary or we take data that in someone else's hand would be nothing. And yet we see patterns in it and we transform it into value for our culture. Or we have an, an, a business idea and, and other people say, oh, that's, that's, you can't make anything out of that. I can't imagine that anybody in a house would want a computer. That's ridiculous. Um, But you see that it's going to work. And so you transform the ordinary thing into gold. That's a, a wonderful way to have a life. And so we do that all the time. We throw ourselves into a goal. We stay up all night. We make that extra push. And what happens is it it costs us. This is why people who are older have wrinkles because they've made that extra push so many times that it it has cost us. And we owe our bodies or we owe our friends or we owe our spouses Um We owe our children because we've written books while we were supposed to be taking care of our children, and our children have kind of had to uh, take care of themselves, or they have to go, ah, Mom, it's supper time. I want you to get off that computer and fix us something, please. And um, just to pull an example out of the air. (laughs) 
or we get addicted to work, or we get addicted to um, having our pride stroked. Oh, you're so special. Or we get addicted to adrenaline, which is the name of the little gremlin I got addicted to. I was like, I think I'll just get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and write my sermon. This is when I was in my 30s. Uh, Whee! That was fun. Crash. Oh, the name of my little gremlin that helps me do impossible tasks is uh, adrenaline. So once we name them, they lose some of their power over us. I, I lost some pride. I became more peaceful with being just human. Um, when people would come to me in my 30s, and they, I was a therapist, and they would say, we've been to six therapists already. You're our last hope. That would really hook me. I would go, I can help you. I will care more about your marriage than you do. Once I got old and tired in my 40s, They would say that to me, and I would say, listen, if six therapists haven't been able to help you, I probably can't help you either. And they would go, oh, well, could you just, like, try? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll try. (laughs) And then we're all on a better footing, see? And nobody's hooked into their hero adrenaline phase. It's much more restful. So what is the name of that little bit of magic you use to pull it out, to do the impossible? What has it cost you? If this tale has taken an ordinary experience and woven it into something valuable, I'm very glad. And I want you to go home and and reflect on it, chew on it a little bit more. If this tale has not had anything for you, that is fine. Let it go and wait for the next one to come along. Please say the words with me by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.